Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. And I'm Graham. And we are continuing a bit of a video game centric thing. We've got a theme going for a little while, and it's the, for once it's not Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll get back to that eventually. I'm we sure. will. It. Uh, this was the week of sort of E3, the Electronic Entertainment Expo. It used to be a big convention where all the big developers and publishers would get together and show off what they've had under the hood and what you want to be buying soon. Uh, less so over the last few years, even before the pandemic. This time there were a fair number of announcements, but uh, we'll put it this way. Certainly not enough to do a news uh, a news episode on, right? You didn't see anything that really wet your whistle, right? I mean, I, I'm i not the target demographic. There were a few, like, for me, the biggest thing was the, the new Mario Party game that they announced, which is kind of like a, a best of Mario Party game, but still looked pretty fun and... Uh, I'll probably end up getting that, but... Um, but it's, well, it's that best of, right? That's the key. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Like, we were talking last week about the Final Fantasy VII remake, and they showed off, you know, if they're bringing back old Mario Party. There's There's been a lot of, of remakes of games you played before, but now you get a chance to play them all over again. And to be fair, let's be clear, there's a difference between a remaster, which is exactly the same game, but you can buy it again for your new console, and a full remake, something like Final Fantasy VII, where they took this 90s turn-based Japanese like role-playing game and turned it into this intense story-driven action thing. Um, other big hits include Resident Evil 2 got a remake recently. It's the, the idea of taking like an old story and characters that are close to people's heart and modernizing it with modern technology and really making it a new experience. That seems to be super popular these days. Yeah, uh, and... It's they they seem to be pretty successful at it. Uh, there's they're they usually nail it. I guess it's partly because they're taking a script of something that worked really well and just giving it a real good polish and putting it in a new format. I think the the remasters have been a bit more of a mixed bag. Yeah, yeah. There's only so many times you can like add anti-aliasing to make the graphics seem a little less polygonal, right? This is a yeah. full rebirth thing. Now, the key to this is that well, frankly. There are a lot of great video games out there that are getting remakes, and, uh, you know, I'm interested in some of them, but there are a lot of hidden gems that we were thinking that, uh, frankly, listen, video game developers, this is an entreaty. Please remake these video games. Folks, this is Graham and Jesse. We're, we're bringing another dueling lists. We've got our top five video games that really deserve a full remake. I'm very curious to see where we overlap and where we differ on this one. There's a lot of material. It's possible we've got 10 separate entries. Maybe nine. We'll see. <laughs> I uh, I can't wait to get to the number one. That's the one I'm most excited for and would love to see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if that spark plugs thing between you and me just carries forward. <laughs> anyway, I think we've gotten the point across. Uh, do you want to take us in, Graham? What's your number five? Number five is Crimson Skies. Oh, not on my list, but good choice. Really? Okay. So this started off as a board game in uh, 1998, and uh, there were two video games that came out in 2000 and 2003. But weirdly, I, I feel like every time we talk about this franchise, this detail surprises me, but it's by the same guy who created Battletech, or one of the co-creators of Battletech. Oh, yeah, this is a Jordan Wiseman property, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Du- the dude creates worlds to play in. Battletech, Crimson Skies, Shadowrun. Like, he's... he's, he's he, The guy makes universes. Very cool. Yeah, definitely. So it's it's set in a world in like the around the 30s or 40s. It's diesel punk. It's an alternate reality where the United States and Canada have all it's all devolved into nation states. There's no Canada or the United States. Everything's a, a different nation, and they are all in competition with each other. And it's all air based. Uh, and and you're a group of I guess mercenaries, and you're going around protecting cargo and defeating air pirates. And it was a neat game and a great concept, and I think it survived well on a, in a board game system, but never quite found its audience in, in the right numbers, I guess, to justify its continued existence in a video game state. And, you know, we've been playing Star Wars Squadrons off and on for uh, a little while now, but um, well, about half a year, and that really shows that that uh, dogfighting-style game can work. And I think if you put that those game mechanics and put it in this universe have you you are only in the pilot seat and you're flying around dogfighting going through uh rocky cliffs hitting zeppelins that sort of stuff would be really neat in an updated format now the question being would you are you keeping the same sort of 30s pulpy tone to it like it definitely comes off with this theme of like I always sort of loop it in. It's not perfect, but I always loop it in with the same sort of Indiana Jones feel. Yeah, definitely, it's Indiana Jones, but in a Indiana Jones is basically our world with a bit more of a supernatural twist to it. This is Indiana Jones if the world was much different in the forties. But I mean specific. But I mean specifically like the like. It like like a lot of the narration in this game came over the old time radio, you know, with the old music yeah. and stuff. Like like the '30s feel is a very important part of Crimson Skies. Like I'm trying to think if you made a remake and modernized it, like instead of having biplanes, you know, and rotors and props, you had jets. I don't know if that would work. No, I, I don't think I'd want to do that. At least not in the first one. You bring it back in the era of the original. But spruce up the graphics, make it less of a linear story. I think the fact that there's a bunch of nation states makes it ripe for people to to go and, and work as a mercenary, work for different nations and protect different things. And you're trying to help specific states become better than other states. There's a It's a rich world and there's a lot to work with there. Uh, you know, Jordan Wiseman doesn't skimp. All of these these states have their own identities. And I think there's there's a lot to play with and and you could be part of maybe making the states unite again or or something like that and have this dogfighting be the way you do it. I mean, oh, that does sound super compelling and I want to know immediately. I want to know everything about these states. That's the kind of lore that that makes my mouth dry. <laughs> but when it comes to Crimson Skies, I mean, I'm more interested in like finding hidden treasure and stuff, right? Like the that first campaign in the PC Crimson Skies game where you're in Hawaii, which is like an independent kingdom of Hawaii, and you get caught up in all the politics there for sure. But the big deal is that you're looking for a sunken ship. I think it's Nathan Drake's treasure, like which Uncharted so famously did a lot better, frankly. But I think like you're like like in the last mission is that th- like that three way dogfight while the ships are lifting the gold out of the like out of the ocean, right? Like I'm that's the kind of yeah. adventure that I'm really digging. So you do that, except that the gold is to help fund the, you know, Confederacy of Idaho so that they can 
take on Kentucky or, you know, something like that to, to just keep that world going. And you're, you're getting hired out to do these dogfighting missions and aerial combat, uh, stealing stuff from other states. But the background is this geopolitical engine that's rolling and, and different states gaining more and more power. That does sound super cool. I feel like there was an Xbox version of, of Crimson Skies, and it, the controls didn't feel right. It wasn't as good as having a joystick on a computer. But I think now the the present-day controllers and uh, consoles have caught up in a way that, that it can work, and, and Squadrons proves that. Yeah, no, Squadrons is pretty smooth. Cool, okay, I like it. Yeah. So what's your number five? My number five? Uh, this is kind of a deep cut. Um which is one of the reasons why I want it to be remade, but don't uh, don't hit yourself if you don't recognize this one. I want to see a full remake of Severance Blade of Darkness. This, I don't think I've ever heard of it. You know, and the thing is, if you saw it being played, you'd go, oh, yeah. And that would be it. No, Blade of Darkness is a 2001 game developed by these guys in Spain called Rebel Act Studios. And this was their one game. It was all in, and it just it went Betamax. Like, there was nothing wrong with it. It just didn't catch on, and it failed. But this was such a cool game. Somewhere out there, John Steven, is, his head just perked up. He doesn't know why. He was really into this. Blade of Darkness was a, a third-person sort of sword and sorcery kind of game. A, a lot of Conan feel. A lot of sort of dark and gritty. Um, it was a combination of exploration. Like, you know, here's the castle, find out, like, like yeah, the door's locked. How do you get around it? Scale the wall, get into the window, that sort of thing. And this... For the time, very complicated combat engine. Essentially, you're playing with a mouse and keyboard, and you're like your third-person camera, so you're watching over your guy's shoulder, and you run into whatever it is, an orc or something. And how you're moving determines how you attack. So if you're playing with the knight, you got the sword. Like, you know, click the left mouse button, and he'll slash with the sword. Like, move left and click with the mouse button, and he'll slash the sword to the left. Move right, he'll swing it to the right, etc., and it was a very precise, like in video games, what we call a hitbox, like whether or not you actually hit the character. In this case, like, you know, uh, like slashing to the left, you might avoid, like maybe he's got his shield up, but like going to the left, you get around it and hit him further aside. And it sort of evolved that way. It developed a combo system so that like eventually you start moving in lots of different directions to trigger cool new attacks. And frankly, it sounds a lot like a fighting game when you think about it that way. But they just built in this really intense, really cool combat system so that, like, late in the game, once you've leveled up and you have the awesome magic sword and the enchanted armor and all that jazz, like, you still have to pay attention. You can't just button mash your way through this game uh, because, like, you know, someone might get, like, under your guard and hit you and you'll take that hit. It also, just as a side note, had a very primitive 2001-esque but functioning dismemberment system, which was fascinating to a 16-year-old. <laughs> but, you know, like, if, if you do the vertical slice and catch them in the arm, maybe you cut that arm off. That was, uh, that was, that was fun. But no, it was... That would be fun to see in a, in a modern graphics system. Yeah, it, uh, I mean, as graphics get more modern and gore becomes more apparent, there's, like, unless that's what you're into, like, if you're Netherrealm making a Mortal Kombat game... Otherwise, I feel like that might not play so well. 
But anyway, so this game, so you got four classes to pick from. You got, well, four characters, but same deal. You got a barbarian, a dwarf, a knight, and a girl. Which, I mean, they use the word Amazon, but it was 2001. It was a girl. <laughs> and each one played a little bit differently. You know, the Barbarian was great with the two-handed weapons and the big heavy swings, whereas the Knight had the sword and shield, and so you play a little more defensively. And you explored this really cool world where the, the combat was a lot of fun. So I'm thinking like, in terms of games like For Honor or even like, even looking at that Dungeons & Dragons game that's out this week, the, the Dark Alliance game, like, I, like the kind of game where the combat is really the focus and it's all about like performing the right combos and doing the right moves and leveling things up. And then the part where you have four characters that you can pick from, that's just begging for cooperative multiplayer. Mm-hmm. So again, not a not a factor in the original game, but we're talking a remake. Everybody's doing that cooperative gameplay stuff these days. It's like back when Left 4 Dead first came out. Like we're just we're, we're I don't know if these things are cyclical like bell bottom jeans, but we're seeing this all over. It's you know four players sign up and work together to defeat X. This is perfect for that. Just instead of making it so arena focused, you also add in the cool dark sword and sorcery. You know, there are a lot of times in this game, like, you, you explore, you know, an abandoned church, and like, open, like, open a creepy door into a creepy room filled with, like, destroyed furniture, and you'd be thinking, like, holy crap, what happened here? Like, really environmental, like, really the kind of thing that really, it really got to, it was especially impressive uh, for 2001. What was the game called again? A bla- Severance colon Blade of Darkness. Okay, it's starting to sound familiar. I don't know if I ever had it. If but. you Google image search it, you'll recognize it because we played it when we were kids. Uh, but it just it wasn't a big deal. Oh, uh, yeah. It's looking familiar now? Yeah. 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 This game, this, ugh, this was one of the first games that I gave to my wife, well, my then girlfriend. Uh, she wanted some computer games. I said, here, try this. It wasn't actually a great, I shouldn't have done that because it requires a lot of precision. And for somebody just starting with gaming, that was... You know, could have started a little smaller, but it was just such a cool world, and I think that world is ripe for exploration again, and it would be so well-suited to, like, an online console kind of thing. And it definitely needs some updating from the looks of it. <laughs> it it's, listen, it's, what, 20 years old now. That's, like, oh boy. video game technology. I mean, you know, like, like, remember how in the same hundred years we invented flight and then landed on the moon? Right. Yeah, technology advances quick. This game, it's, it no longer looks any good. It is no longer playable. Um, like, even a remaster would not do it. It's it's time for it. But, but that world, a fantasy, like a dark fantasy world. Everyone loves dark fantasy these days. The Witcher, the Game of Thrones, you know. Just get four people working together in that with some cool combat and blood stuff to make it a little more grown up. Like, just... I think it would be perfect. And I know you can't really comment because you don't really recall it. But so folks at home, just trust me on this one. And like, maybe you can find it on good old games or YouTube, some of it. just it, 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 is, it, it had a lot of potential. I feel like it came too ahead of its time. And it would be awesome to see it today. But yeah, I, I do think it would work in that realm that you're talking about. And especially, you know, I'm not I'm not too into those blood games or the... Those games where it's just the idea of the, the appeal of it is how difficult it is. But my understanding is you don't have a lot of options as far as what your character is in that. 
And it would be neat to do a game like that where you could be anything from a barbarian to a dwarf to an Amazon and have different game mechanics based on how you what you've decided to play as. Yeah, and that's what works that's what works best for multiplayer, right? Like right. The, the dwarf can do X but not Y, the barbarian can do Y but not Z. With people working together, and you'll build in some like some team combos. If you do this and the other guy does this together, then they do something really cool. Like, ah, oh, sign me up. I I mean, listen, Geek Top 5's official position is still never pre-order games. <laughs> but I would be I mean, I would be all over that on release day for sure. All right. Well, it does sound cool, and I think it would definitely find an audience now that it couldn't find back then. Should we move on to our number fours? What is your number four? Diddy Kong Racing. <laughs> okay. Now, this is a bit of a cheat, because it did get a remaster in 2007 for the Nintendo DS, but my understanding is it was not a very good remaster, and that was also 13 years ago, so time for a, another crack at this yeah again uh, first remaster very different from a remake we're talking right. a ground up relaunch first released in 1997 it's uh, a nintendo 64 game and uh really nintendo has as far as racing games there's only one game that comes to mind and it's mario kart it's the king it's the crown jewel it's everything but i don't i don't know about you jess but for me Diddy Kong Racing was the racing game for the Nintendo 64. I loved that game. I also loved that game. Um, I think in general it's going to be hard to find people, like like people who had Diddy Kong Racing and Mario Kart 64. Mario Kart 64 was a really good time. Diddy Kong Racing was good too. I don't know why. Like I loved Mario Kart on the Super Nintendo, but when we the jump happened to N sixty four, I don't think I ever got it. And when I played it, I enjoyed it, but I never had that need to get it. When I played Diddy Kong Racing, I had to have it, and I still feel that way about it. Whenever I think back on that game, the music still gets stuck in my head. There's the 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 variety in it, and the variety of characters was was always really great. And it's such a sad thing to me that it ended being just the one game and it, it, there's all this behind the scenes politics for why that is but there were plans for sequels and plans for other editions but because of companies being sold and and properties changing hands it just never happened again and it's time for nintendo to put something else out there like mario kart is great but they've had the same mario kart game for two generations now it's a great game don't get me wrong i like mario part uh, mario kart 8 but let's give some other characters a chance let's give the donkey kong team a chance to to do something new all right well pitch well pitch me on it like what is it that diddy kong racing is doing that mario kart isn't well first of all it's not carts or at least it's not just carts you can do the same levels in cars planes and hovercrafts and they all have their advantages and disadvantages and that adds a whole level, a uh, different level to it. You know, in, in Mario Kart now, you've got motorcycles and carts, but they play pretty similarly. Not, it's certainly not the same dis- difference as a plane and a car. And the, it changes how you do a level. It changes your strategy. And there's a lot of fun to be had there. I, it also, for a racing game, had a story that was actually interesting and compelling. It was something that 
that drove the the what happened in the game. I mean, Whereas, compelling might be strong. Okay, I, compelling. Like, yeah, it's fair. I don't go to bed at night and look up into the stars and just you know, wonder <laughs> about my place in the world vis-a-vis Whizpig. That's fair, but the fact that there was a boss villain that you had to race in this game, and he it was just part of the game. It was part of the story. I don't know of any other racing games that work that way, at least not in the kart genre, which this would be in. And and I guess the kart genre versus other racing game genres, you get items that you can use to defeat your enemies. Uh, and it's not just straightforward racing. But here you've got the kart mechanics and other vehicles and a story. And as you go through the game, different things happen. Uh, you, it, it, from level to level, the story progresses, and you're you're unlocking different areas and unlocking different parts of of this island to find Whizpig and save the island, free it, whatever. But because of all these, so I, that's what sets it apart, and I think that's what would make it uh, click in a, in a way that other kart games can't. You know, Mario Kart's great, but you're not as emotionally invested because it's just driving around. There's no story there. Whereas this, you can really hook people. You're racing for a purpose. Yeah. yeah you got sort of a Fast and Furious thing going. <laughs> You're a family. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, you and Timber and Conker. Although some of those characters you can't use anymore because of rights issues. But they'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I also point out the... Like, I liked how like Mario Kart, it's you get the item and it does the roulette and you see what you get. Diddy Kong Racing, they were very clear where they had, like, this will give you an offensive item, this will give you a boosting item, this will give you a defensive item. And you could... like You could you'll get the offensive item and it was a missile and you could use it or you could hang on to it and get another offensive pickup and it's like, now you have 10 missiles and, like, and you could use that. Or you could hang on to it and get another one it's now you have homing missiles. I liked... Right. I liked the give and take. I could add in a layer of strategy that Mario Kart doesn't have, where it's, you know, I'll use this if I need to, or I'll hang on to it and try to get the better thing for a more dramatic push later. Like, that was really cool. I liked that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely a different strategy than you normally get in these games. And, you know, it can also really screw it up, because if you've got, you know, the red balloons were the offensive thing. So you saved up and you get the homing missile and then you accidentally hit a uh you know you drop a oil splosh thing it's a, like a defensive balloon right you get the wrong suddenly... thing and yeah and you reset yeah. back to level one of the other thing <laughs> and you're cursing yeah there had been talk of uh, a sequel called donkey kong racing that was going to come out on the gamecube but it got scrapped but from what i've read they were going to change the mechanics even further and have it be racing where you're you're riding animals and beyond that you could change animals during the race so each animal type has a different ability or a different strength and weakness set. And so you start, let's say, on a rhino because you need to bash through some stuff. And then there's a part where swimming might come in handy as opposed to going across a bridge. So you can switch to a dolphin and swim under the bridge. That sounds cool. Yeah, that's a new mechanic that I don't think I've ever seen in any game before. Make it a whole new thing. Okay, I can see how it's not just a Mario Kart clone for sure. No, that sounds pretty cool, actually. And you're right about the soundtrack. Since you mentioned it, like now they're all stuck in my head. All these songs I <laughs> it's haven't heard. Weird, right? Yeah. W- when did this come out? Is this 91? You said 97. 97. Yeah. All these songs I haven't heard since a couple years after 1997 that are all now stuck in my brain. <laughs> all right. So what's your number four? My number four. A uh, bit of a different tack. I want to remake Rebel Assault 2, the Star Wars game. Star Wars Rebel Assault 2, the Hidden Empire. 
which is a weird piece of video game history, but I think this could be... Like, I want to remake this as the start of a, like, to kickstart maybe a new genre or a very modern interpretation of an old genre. Uh, Rebel Assault 2 is the 1995 sequel to the original 93 Rebel Assault um, that, I guess the term for it is rail shooter. It's a type of video game you never see these days. Uh, but if you think back to classic gaming, you'll see this a lot, where you're in the, you'll say in the cockpit, and it's like they play a movie, and the movie is you weaving through, you know, say, uh, Star Wars. We don't have to keep making things up. They're weaving through TIE Fighters, <laughs> and you need to go and shoot the TIE Fighter before it shoots you. And if you shoot enough of them before they shoot you, you get to the other end and you pass the level. So the gameplay mechanic is half, like, your reaction time and, like, seeing where they're coming from and shooting them down, and, and also half just memorization because you do this a lot. I feel like the place you see it most often these days would be in arcades. If you can get to an arcade, most of those games with the guns, you're just standing there and like this game will take you to your next location. You have to shoot at stuff as it comes at the screen. And yeah, like a Rebel- game. Yeah, Rebel Assault has always been a little more advanced than that. There's a little more options and flexibility there, but that's the style of game a rail shooter is. Yeah, so that's the first half of this omelet. Like that's so the first ingredient is that kind of rail shooter. Uh, needs refinement, but we'll get back to that. I understand the criticism. This is like it's a movie. You have to click on fast enough in the right place to get to the other end. But the other half of this is that this was one of the first games, certainly the first for Star Wars, where they had story sequences shot with live action full motion video in between. And are they any good? No, they're terrible. <laughs> These are not great A actors, but it was still really cool to see. Like, Rebel Assault 2 opens with a live-action film Darth Vader on the bridge of an Imperial Star Destroyer. Like, it, like talk about immersing yourself into the world. And the story in this one, not bad. Not awesome. Not bad. It's, uh, like, you, you, the story is that you're a rebel pilot on patrol. You're in the Dryton Triangle, a mysterious area of space where ships tend to vanish. Where'd they get that idea? Um, long story short, it turns out the Empire is experimenting with cloaking TIE fighters. And, you know, that so no one sees them coming and they blow you up. And you go on a big Star Wars adventure to blow up where they're making the cloaking TIE fighters. And you steal one of your own at one point, And there's, it's, it's a lot of fun. But you, you do Star Wars stuff. You, like, look for their hidden supply base and then fly into the base and blow up the core. You've seen all this before. But it was this fun, cheesy B-action movie, almost, built around this game. And anyway, here, so anyway, I want to bring that back. I want to bring along like a fun movie with fun segments to play. But what I'm saying is the rail segments, let's do that like a Star Fox game. Hmm. We're, so kind of the same thing. Star Fox had, I mean, it was also kind of an on-rails shooter. Like, there's, the plane would fly straight, and you would navigate across the screen and try to avoid enemy fire and shoot back at the targets. But while you were doing that, it was extremely dialogue-intense, right? The, st- the most memorable thing about Star Fox games are the characters. 
Yeah. So I'm saying do that. Let's let, let's take Rebel Assault 2 again and let's have this, a squadron of hotshot X-Wing pilots with unique personalities and a ton of dialogue and make it a very light, easy kind of gameplay. Like, I like squadrons too, but it's really intense. You know, like you need to be on top of four different things at once and all times. At this, it's just, you know, steer and shoot while listening to these pilots doing their thing and this cool Star Wars movie happens around you. I think that is... An awesome, awesome setup for a game that I could play over and over and over again. Yeah, I can see that. So, I mean, like, with Star Fox, you get some other ingredients you want to mix in there. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Like, you, you do the right thing during a mission. You get an alternate path, which gets you to another level. I love that mechanic. I think it's great. Maybe we could bring that in there. Um you know, so you're you're chasing an elite squadron of TIE fighters, and if you manage to kill all three, then... Or maybe you don't, maybe you follow them back to their command ship, and then something else different happens there. I don't know, maybe. But the idea is a very story-driven adventure with gameplay that's fun, but it doesn't have to be that deep, right? Just deep enough to keep you interested, but really it's about, like, what's happening in it. I think there's a lot of cool room for that. I also understand that LucasArts probably wouldn't want to remake a classic trilogy Star Wars game. I feel like right now the hot hotness in Star Wars is setting it like sort of where the Mandalorian is set, like after Jedi, but before Force Awakens or after Return of the Jedi, rather, because there's many movies with Jedi in the title now after Return of the Jedi, but before Force Awakens. So, okay, we can move it there, but you can have the same thing where it's, you know, the bad guys, whoever they are at this point, Empire, First Order, Sith, whatever, they've got some cool thing and these hotshot pilots are going to go and blow it up. And just get some of that fun back and forth dialogue. I mean, obviously you and I are going to go straight to the Aaron Alston, Kevin J. Anderson, Rogue Squadron and Wraith Squadron books. Yes. Lots of fun sort of MASH style dialogue there. Like adapt that into it, making these like these fun pilot characters. Um, it would have to be single player, I think. Maybe you can, if you want, you could add a versus mode. But I mean, the versus modes in Star Fox were never that good. It's not really what it's about. But a rollicking adventure that you just play through with a flight stick and a trigger. I just, I, I would buy that immediately. I feel like the industry is ripe for it, and I think it's a great way to tell a Star Wars story. Yeah, I think it sounds great, and I think that um, it could be done relatively cheaply if you wanted to, and then that might mean that you could do it in installments, sort of like the the Telltale franchise. Have it come out where it's sort of shorter chapters, and, and it'll keep you hooked for longer. Maybe. And that would be a fun way to do it, especially since, like, you know, ev- well, not everybody, but specifically Disney is doing their small bits of a larger whole kind of storytelling these days. You know, mm-hmm. ev- every Marvel show is part of a bigger picture. It's, you know, we've seen The Mandalorian, but we know Ahsoka is going to get a show and the Rangers of the Republic are going to get a show and they're all going to, like, come together. Like, imagine if parts of what happened in this game also tie into those Star Wars streaming stories, or like that Rogue Squadron movie that we're still hoping is coming out somewhere down the line. That uh, I think it's coming for sure. Uh, Patty Jenkins. Don't make a big announcement like she did uh, climbing into an X-Wing and flying off uh, if you don't have pretty serious plans to do it. Yeah. Way to hijack my personal dream, Ms. Jenkins. Thanks for that. (laughs) Um, but yeah, like there's a lot of cool opportunity there. Um, so yeah, remake Rebel Assault 2. Maybe leave a little room if they want to like, maybe use that style of game, but not the old story. 
yeah, I, I'll stop I, ranting. I'm very excited about this idea. <laughs> it's great. All right, so my number three is also going back in time. This is uh, from uh, 1996 on the Super Nintendo. It is Mario RPG. I have Mario RPG on my list, and it's higher up. Oh my god, exciting! Okay, well, th- we might be getting into territory now where we're, we're overlapping we're on the Maybe. same page. Yeah. All right, what's your number three? My number three? Um, no, you don't have this one. I don't think so. Uh, my number three, I want to see a remake of Star Trek Armada. I don't have it on there. Yeah, I, uh, I, I thought there was I a I do geez. like that game. You're the one who introduced me to that game. <laughs> st- I just think like RTS games are, are harder to modernize, I find. But, but tell us the, the shtick here. Yeah, Star Trek Armada, uh, developed and published uh, 2000. Um, by Activision is a real-time strategy game. Uh, so you think your Command and Conquerors, your Warcrafts, your Starcrafts, the the mechanic of like build a base and you know, harvest resources and build a fleet and go blow up the other fleet. Um, except this was Star Trek themed, and look, I mean anyone can take a game like this and just like you know instead of building orcs, you're building starships. And then they shoot at each other and they die, and that's and that like frankly that would have been enough. But Star Trek Armada, they cast a ton of the main cast from Star Trek: The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, and told a really cool Star Trek story around it. They, this, they had Patrick Stewart, they had Michael Dorn, they had Denise Crosby, they had J.G. Hertzler. Like, they got a whole bunch of people out. It's like, it, the story is essentially, it's a Borg invasion, um, and things are crazy, and, like, everyone needs to work together to get on board, but of course they can't, because, you know, Sela and the Romulans are doing Romulan things, and Martok declares war on them, and... So you need to get the Klingons and the Romulans to get along, and then and the Borg. Well, what are the Borg doing this time? The Borg are doing a cool thing this time. They're instead of sending one cube, they're sending lots of littler ships because they've seen that that's how the Federation works, and it keeps beating them. Also, super convenient for a computer game, or maybe you <laughs> want to play as the Borg. Um, and key to that is they've cloned their own Locutus. And there's this amazing, just like, I wish it actually happened on the actual show of, like, Captain Picard and Locutus having a stare down from the bridges of their respective ships. And, like, what it means to both those characters was so cool. Long story short, this was a fun strategy game. It was extremely basic. Nothing too complex, but it told a really cool Star Trek story, mission to mission. And I think that's the key to bringing it back. Um, I don't think you can remake it directly. A lot of those guys are still around, but they're getting, well, they're getting real old, but I guess it's easier to hide it when it's a video game. Like maybe a CG Captain Picard looking like he did, you know, in the late nineties, rather than the way Patrick Stewart looks now in the Picard series. Yeah. But uh, on top of that, you could, if you're doing a remake and it's, it's basically the same plot, you can just take those voice files, right? And, and slap new graphics on them. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's sort of overlapping into remaster territory. I okay, think. okay. But like, I I just feel like with a game like this in particular, where outside of the cutscenes you don't really see people; it's all just voiceover that you get anyway. It may not be as egregious. Yeah, I just it's I. I hmm. The thing with real time strategy games these days is 
the 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 genre has sort of self-destructed because what happened is they evolved into a really heavy sort of micromanagement it was very heavily focused on the tactics and not the strategy and from there that's where we got our sort of like online battle arena games games like league of legends games like heroes of the storm the uh, defense mm. of the ancients so it's like or it's uh, the strategy went out the window and it was really just sort of a bird's eye view of commanding a few units like that sort of seems to be where the genre went i kind of want to take that back i want to take it back to the day where it was like the first half of your of any mission was securing resources and building up your base and making choices. Do I want to upgrade in this direction and build lots of fast ships and phasers? Or do I want to upgrade in this direction and go for heavy ships with more torpedoes? Like making those strategic decisions. So it's like, and that, I think, mates really well with the storytelling because it's not just a rapid fire, like, oh, it's been 12 minutes and he's only clicked the mouse this many times. That's how we can tell he's going to lose. Instead, it's more of a progressive experience, more storytelling. And I think that really suits Star Trek more than it does other franchises, like the Warcraft and the Starcraft, and even Star Wars, where at the end of the day, like as long as there are a ton of lasers on screen, you can sort of get away with it. Yeah. Uh, I, the other thing, the other way that that uh, style of game has evolved into are are the heavily mobile games, where... You know, you start building something, but it takes eight hours to build in real time, or you can pay a little money and it's built immediately. And uh, it, honestly, one of the things I'd been considering for the list was a game called Majesty that we both really liked, and you can still get it on Steam and, and places like that. And and there hasn't been an iteration of that game for a long time, and I was like, that would be ripe for mobile. Of course, there's a mobile version of it, and it looks awful, and I regretted everything. <laughs> yeah, the, the mobile game is like completely distinct from actual game like the, the mobile like animations from something you love drawn over a casino is i'm not yeah. interested um no nothing like that just like this this guy like was i think it was the the first the end of the first federation campaign is you show up like you're piloting the enterprise and you have a couple construction ships and you show up and you just barely save the starbase from the borg invasion but the borg are out there so we have to blow up the borg base that's in this sector and just go start repairing the starbase and once the starbase is repaired you can repair your ships and then start building more ships and then send those ships out to find more resources so you can build more shipyards and build better ships and then start scouting out the sectors and look out for the nebulas you don't want to fly in there because different kinds of nebulas have different kind of effects on your ships and then start <laughs> running into the borg patrols and figure out okay they're here here and here so that means maybe their base is somewhere in this area like that kind of progression and then just you know, made it with you know with star trek actors and events and like God, they went so deep in this game. There was a whole sub-arc around the Omega Particle. Do you remember that? Yeah. Like, right? like, Sila's, like, she's trying to steal it from the Ferengi so she can use it to, like, basically pay off the Borg for a little bit, buy her the time that she needs. And and Toral shows up. You remember that guy? The, 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 the kid who was the son of Doros and Redemption? Like, oh, he's, yeah. He's grown up now, but the, he's there causing, like, like, the people who made this game knew their stuff about Star Trek, and it showed, and just what, like, what a deep, it's a very deep world to mine, and doing it at the slow pace of a real-time strategy game, I think, is an excellent combination. 
it's also at that time it was really common for games like that to, to have you play as all the different options. You know, you weren't just playing as the Federation. You'd have uh, certain segments of the game where you'd be playing as the Romulans and certain as the Klingons and the Borg eventually. Or was that in the sequel? No, no, you played as the Borg in this one. This, they, right. like the, the way the story went, it was Federation, Klingon, Romulan, Borg, and then sort of like the, the Alpha Quadrant Alliance. So like, like at one point you're playing as the Borg trying to conquer Earth, and that's awesome and fun. <laughs> yeah, and they don't. I, I don't feel like they do that as much anymore. It's it's usually more straightforward. You're playing as the one species, and that's that. And uh, that but was a fun feature to have back then. I mean, it's just it's like you said, like the RTS genre has sort of faded away. So it's, yeah, like they don't do that anymore because there aren't a lot of those <laughs> games anymore. But. I mean, PC gaming is all over the place. Like, people got mice and keyboards. Like, that's, let's bring, excuse me, let's bring that back. Yeah, I agree. All right, should we move on to number two? What's your number two? I have a feeling this is going to be on your list, but let's see. Chrono Trigger. It is on my list, yeah. (laughs) All right, we're starting to hit overlap here. Well, I have, based on where we are now there's no way you're going to have my number 1 i know what your your next two are so let's yeah. let's what is your number 2 yeah my number 2 is mario rpg legend of the right. seven stars <laughs> okay so this was number 3 for you so why don't you hit off on this one um like we might be on this one for a bit cuz we both love the hell out of this game but please hit give me the rundown it's a classic jrpg style game in that it's that that's a specific type of RPG where you're sort of battling one at a time. And as your characters, uh, you choose what they're going to do and then they attack and then the enemy gets a chance to attack. And you've also got magic powers and it's all of that. Like the final fantasy games, as we discussed last week, except now it's your favorite Mario characters. And they also take the trope of having your star character being be mute. So Mario doesn't talk at all through this and they parody it by having him do all this pantomime and everyone's trying to guess what he's trying to say. And it was great. It's a lot of fun. On top of that, it's very funny, and it has a great story. Your team has some new original characters and some classics like the princess and even Bowser joins the team. It's it's a was a fun 90s adventure, and I think that's the one area where maybe we'd, we'd have to make some changes, get it a little out of that 90s vibe. I'm thinking specifically of the Axum Rangers, which is a very funny but very specific parody of the Power Rangers, and I don't know if that works as well in 2021 as it did in 1996. It, it doesn't, but it's also like what an amazing callback that would be for fans of the classic game. Right. It's a tough call. But no, you're 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 absolutely right. I mean, the sense of humor in that game was phenomenal. It was laughing at itself and its genre, but also like there was so much love there. It's the perfect kind of thing that we needed for it. But it's also worth mentioning that like the way this game was made, this is like a role-playing game, like an RPG game, like a Final Fantasy or a, like a turn-based game on easy mode. Like, anybody could come and pick this up and understand it. They made so much effort to make it obvious how to play, how to learn. It was very friendly to the user. Just, I mean, even in the controls, right? They go into that isometric view for the turn-based battle, and it's one character's turn, and all the different menu options, like, for what to do, whether you want to attack or use an item or defend to come up, but it's on the specific buttons, like in the shape of the buttons on the controller around the character. 
So if you want, like, if you want to attack, it's to press A, and that's on the A button, like right next to the side of the character, and then all your further menu selections in there are with the A button. They did, like, somebody said, I don't want Mario to be in a role-playing game because our players won't know how to play it, and someone else said, oh, we got that. <laughs> they put a ton of effort into making this game super accessible. Yeah, and there were there are spiritual sequels to it, and that have gone for well into the 2010s in the form of Paper Mario and Mario and Luigi. But whenever I've played those games, I never get the same feeling that I got from Mario RPG. They're they're close, and they're in an RPG style, but they don't have that same sense of humor that is somewhere between kids and adults. Like, Mario RPG managed to find a place that appeals to everyone who plays it. It doesn't skew too far one way or the other. And the other games, to my mind, have skewed more towards kids, which is fine and great, because Mario should be for kids. But it would be nice to have uh, occasionally something that bridges the gap a little bit more. (laughs) And I do think that self-parody is also a bit... Like, that self-parody is missing from the Mario and Luigi games, from the later games. Like, those games, they figure... I guess they figure they've already established the role-playing thing. Now people can do it, but they don't, like... Now they don't need that hand-holding. Whereas just, like, again, the pantomime you just... Like, you get to the point... Like when you first get to the Chancellor in the Mushroom Kingdom, and it's Mario, what's going on? And full mime, he recounts the events of all the events of the game up to that point. And he's running around in circles, and then like like running back and forth between two different places to show that he's two different people, and like punching at himself, and then running to the other side, and like withdrawing, and falling over, and just like that kind of comedy where... It's it's not Deadpool. Like it's not I'm winking at you viewer because this is a video game, but taking those tropes and doing something fun and interesting with them is not something they carried on. Yeah. And I think part of that is it's it's a one-off by the people who are behind the Final Fantasy games, right? Like it's it's by that company. It's by SquareSoft. Now Square Enix. Yeah. And they didn't continue with it. It was other people who made the follow-up games. And so there's There's something missing once you take them out of the equation. So, what does the remake look like? Well, I was thinking, have it be more like a 3D environment. This game was, was, I guess you call it 2.5D? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that isometric view, like, pretty much throughout. Yeah, it's like a static camera angle, but your characters look 3D and you can walk around. But have it where you can actually walk through the city with a, a third-person camera behind you, and, and you choose your, your fellow adventurers, and they walk behind you, and you can talk to people, and it's a bit more freewheeling than than the original game, but you still get specific story beats that you have to hit. And and as I recall, the, the original game didn't have a lot of branching storyline opportunities. They're sort of secret places you can go to, but it's one continuous storyline. So you can spend... You don't have to change the story much. You just have to add a bit more variety in the the activities. And I think you can modernize it pretty easily. And it would take some work because you're not going to start as from the same template of game style as we would with some of these other remasters. So you're going to spend a lot of time on the graphics and a lot of time on the characters. But you're not going to have to worry about the story. The story is pretty perfect as is. As I recall, the writing is really top-notch, and you get a lot of pathos and, and story for all the characters that end up joining your party. 
in that like you know, ages six and up sense, yeah, absolutely. Right. It's just like, like when you keep running into Bowser and his Koopa troop gets like smaller and smaller and smaller, but he's still hanging in there. He's still king of the Koopas. Yeah. All right. I see that. I like everything about that. I'm wondering about the battle system because I mean I don't know that you're gonna sell the like a fully 3D environment and all that stuff. I feel like you might need to have it be in a more action oriented battle system too. Mm, I don't know. I mean, you could probably sell me on it, but but I really like the battle system in that game, and and to change that mechanic of the timed. You know, you get bonus points and damage if you time your hit just right, and I would miss that aspect of it, I think. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, the example that's coming to my mind right now is Mario and Rabbids. That, like, that's sort of a weird spin-off Mario game, but it is turn-based, so folks these days will be familiar with it. But I'm trying to think, like, the kids coming off of Super Mario Odyssey and Super Mario Galaxy, like, getting to a point like where you have to fight an enemy, all of a sudden it stops you from moving, and you have to wait for your turn. I feel like it might be a hard sell. Well, you know, we didn't know those types of games until we played them. I think we can we can trust that the kids will figure it out. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, again, like, or you have to do something like the first, like the, the original version of this game did, where it's incredibly user-friendly and sort of baked into the the formula of the comedy. Like, yeah. You know, so you, you have characters clearly explain what's going on. I'm on board for that. Yeah, I suppose I am. <laughs> I mean, certainly there are a lot of fun opportunities like to redo the same stuff. Like, there was the... Like, shortly into Mario's leveling up, you get the jump ability where as long as you're timing the button press right, you get successive jumps that do more damage. And there's a whole side thing where it's, like, counting how many jumps you can do. But the rhythm changes. So it's jump, 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 Like, it makes it interesting to play. So I guess it's not as, you know, classic turn-based it's like an old Square Enix game where it's just, you know, select A to attack, select A to attack, select A to attack. If you bring that stuff back, sort of like in a way, sort of like the way Mario Party does mini games almost, then you're, then you're, and sorry, I'm thinking out loud, but then you end up with a lot of fun in there that sort of takes, that, that, that helps compensate for the slowness of that turn-based battle. Yeah, I think that's uh, an interesting way to do it. Also, I, I I don't know if I'm okay with a version of this game that doesn't have the Axum Rangers in it. The Axum Rangers are <laughs> okay. hilarious. They are. I, I just, I feel like it, they date it a little bit. Oh, extraordinarily. No, but the I, only I, people who would find that funny are people who were kids in the 90s. But To be so- fair, there's still new uh, Power Rangers seasons getting created. It's it's popular on, on Netflix. Well, okay. Yeah, what are they on now? They're on Dino something or other again? Oh, boy. I don't know. Maybe. I, I feel like they're well beyond that. I, well, it's like the first I, I ones were Dino Zords, but then there was, like, at some point there was a full Dino-focused one. Like, I think after Samurai or after Space. Anyway, this is the Power like Rangers I, podcast. Never mind. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I feel like if I look it up, I'll fall down a rabbit hole and never crawl out. Yeah. Long story short, I'm, I don't think I'm going to let you cut the Axum Rangers. Maybe part of the comedy... <laughs> can be that nobody remembers the original Axum Rangers, but those guys are a riot, and I want to see them again. 
also might have to update that Princess Peach's weapons were all like cooking yeah, things. That's true. You know, Frying the fr- pan. The fr- it's funny, but it's, yeah, the uh, umbrella is kind of a. I mean, yeah. it's sort of attached to her character now. She uses it in Smash. She uses it, but like maybe a little upgrade there, make Peach a little more interesting. I think she was still Princess Toadstool back then. She wasn't even Princess Peach yet. That's that's true. I think you're right. Jeez. Well, I, I've got it on uh, my Super Nintendo Classic, and uh, I'll boot it up and let you know. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, a little just like upgrade it to keep it up, a little updated with the times. That, uh, but yeah, no, I'm on board. I would love to see a Mario RPG remake. Again, it was my number two, so yeah, we're we're thinking very similarly. Yeah. So uh, we know what your number one is based on what my number two was. Uh, 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 to Not to spoil things, but Chrono Trigger. So let me just quickly go through what my number one was, and then we can get to the meat of the Chrono Trigger since we both <laughs> had it. Okay, sure. My number one, I, I'm both happy and a little disappointed that you didn't have it on your list, uh, but it's No One Lives Forever, or affectionately known as Nolf. It came Ooh. out in the year 2000. It's a first-person shooter, and it's all set in a 60s spy milieu. Uh, it came out around the same time as Austin Powers, and it's it's like that thing where it's it's having fun with the James Bond era thing. But the twist with this one is your main character is a woman. It's Kate Archer and she's not had a chance to become a secret agent, even though that's, she's clearly well equipped for it and she's got all the skills, but they're just sexism is getting in the way. Finally, this is her shot to do it. And it's such a fun game. It's, it's a pretty standard first person shooter, but the storytelling and the comedy is what sells it and makes it stand out uh, in a crowd. And I loved that game and played it a lot, and I can't believe it's dead. It's like there was a sequel that came out in 2002 and wasn't quite the same, and then nothing has happened with it since, and my understanding is the rights are a mess. No one even knows who has the rights properly, so it's almost certainly never going to happen, but it was so good, and I, I want it. I need it to happen. It was a, Do you remember playing it? I remember playing it. It was a really it was a it was a perfectly competent first person shooter with a hilarious theme. Yes. I and my concern though is like I mean Austin Powers is the perfect example. Austin Powers was from the sixties and he came to the nineties. Well, it's been that long. Again, if Austin Powers came out today, he would be from the nineties. And the same amount of time would have passed, right? Like as a, I mean, and it would be terrible because, I mean, what would the 90s version of that be? He would be like an extreme skateboarder or something. But I don't know that we can keep mining the 60s for comedy anymore. Like, I'm, I'm concerned that that well has run dry. And it's not even just the 60s comedy. It's the whole 60s spy thing. I don't know if that works anymore. And I feel like you see this reflected in things like the newer like James Bond movies and the newer Mission Impossible movies where they don't really have anything for their spies to do. <laughs> That's true, but I I think they enough time has gone on. We don't uh, there was a, a whole stretch of time there where they were going back to this well and doing parodies and and homages to the 60s and the the spy movies. And that has has passed. That time has passed. But I feel like it's been long enough that we can go back to it for this game. And e- even if if not go to the 60s, update it a little bit, go to the 70s, 
uh, spoof some of the film genres from then. I but mean, really, this is, what it, hang on here, because this is Crystal Skull territory you're in right now, <laughs> where it's just buck it up and move it forward a decade, and I'm sure everything will be fine. And I, I just want to make sure you're aware of the, <laughs> of, you're stepping into dangerous territory, my friend. I don't know that that changing the time period was the main problem with uh, Crystal Skull. It was not the main problem, but it was a contri- <laughs> it was one of many contributing factors. Well, I don't know. I just like the the appeal of the game has less to do with I mean the time period was neat and the set design of it was was cool. Like the they they really tried to capture a 60s feel and the architecture of places you went to really reflected that and they were unique and and diverse in a way that video games of that time didn't do often. There was a lot of, you know, hallways and forests and things like that, but there wasn't interesting architecture. And I think that would be something neat to be to bring back to this and really focus on a, a set design element. But the real selling point was you'd be walking around corners and you'd hear people talking, it, it, like henchmen would have these conversations, and sometimes you could just stand there and listen to them talk and they, it would be a really funny, entertaining conversation. Sometimes it would get deep. And, you know, if you didn't want to, you could just jump out and, and shoot them. And that would be that. But the writing of dialogue in these games was was what sold it and made it uh, something that set it apart from other first-person shooters. Okay, so if I said we're going to do a No One Lives Forever, it's going to be a first-person shooter with sort of a spy thriller plot, but it's all going to be modern day are you still okay as you were saying it yeah i think it's i think the modern james bond movies modern mission impossible movies there haven't there hasn't been anything to uh, as the british say take the piss out of them like the 60s ones have had there's no one poking fun at them in the same way that 60s bond was made fun of even in its time with the original casino royale and with uh uh the Flint series of movies, I think, I think there's, uh, they're ripe to be a little, you know, mocked. I think it's time for, for them to have the air taken out of them a little bit. And this is the franchise to do it. So yeah, let's modernize it. Now that you've said it, I'm on board. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm getting more on board too. Now my, my big thing against it was that I think we're done with, you know, things being groovy but if it's it's a so it's a modern spy ah, but geez I mean there's some modern spy parody movies that are terrible. Um, well, it's time ah. for it to be done well. Yeah, so it's time for it to be done well. So we've I mean the whole thing of where she's perfectly capable of being a spy, but they won't let her be a spy because she's a woman. That like listen, there's still sexism that still works. But what's the like like what's the supervillain plot right? Like what's what's he gonna do? Poke a hole in the ozone layer? You know, is he going to... Uh, yeah, hacking cell phones. There's all sorts of modern things that, uh, you know, make it Elon Musk. Yeah, Have it be someone who's trying to... Okay, so it's sort of a touch of Kingsman in the story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, that works. And, and then gadgets and funny conversations and, you know, throwbacks to, like, classic things in this genre that don't really work anymore. Okay. All right. I'm... I'm, I'm I, it's growing on me. <laughs> I just really want to play this game again. I watched some clips in preparation from this, and it really brought it all back. And and the the gadgets were a lot of fun, and um, they got to have their cake and eat it too because the the gadgets were things like exploding lipstick and perfume that knocked people out. And the joke is like, oh well, it's sexist that these are the gadgets that she has, and that's the joke. 
but also these are the gadgets that she has. And but they worked really well, and I, 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 you know, I had a lot of fun playing it. I want to do it again. Fair, fair. Okay, yeah. Initially, I was I wasn't sure, but I can see where you're going. All right, let's do your number one, my number two, Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger, yeah, which really deserves its own episode at some point. I mean, it's on my top three, I think, of my favorite video games of all time. Probably a lot of people's. Yeah. Chrono Trigger 1995, Square Enix, Super Nintendo. Uh, not a Final Fantasy, not a Dragon Quest, a totally original thing. Since its release has only had one sequel, barely been Chrono touched. Chrono Cross, right? Chrono Cross on PlayStation 1. Also good, very different, not as legendary. Um, this game, Square calls the people behind this game the, the Dream Team. That Sakaguchi, who's the Final Fantasy guy, they had um, Yuji Hori, who was like the designer for the Dragon Quest stuff, and Akira Toriyama, who is a character designer. Uh, he's he's known for this little thing called Dragon Ball. You might have heard of. <laughs> um, all three of these guys worked together to make a very light-hearted role-playing game adventure that is absolutely breathtaking, even to this day. Um, God, what's the story in the like in the in the current day of 1000 AD? These teenagers at a fair sort of accidentally travel back in time to the dark ages of their time and discover time travel, and a bunch of hijinks ensue. Basically, where they find out that the world is going to end in 1999. So there's one thing we're going to have to update. Um, <laughs> I disagree. I, I would want to keep it at 1999. I think you know. With time travel stuff, you can do things like that, and it's not a problem. Well, maybe. But, uh, yeah, so that was a fun thing to have hanging over your head when the game came out in 1995. I remember it, like, it was July 7th, 1999 was when the Day of Lavos was supposed to be. And I remember on that day, like, just, you know, looking around. <laughs> but uh, anyway, they go on this, like, hilarious time-traveling adventurer it is a turn-based role-playing game. Uh, it is extraordinarily cartoony. Again, it looks like Dragon Ball. And just, like, because of their, like, the characters you get in this, like, there's a medieval knight who's been transformed into a frog, but is still a swordsman and very noble and speaketh in ye olde Englishy. Um, there's, like, I mean, a cave woman with salon hair who's doing her best to, like, defend her tribe from a group of, like, intelligent reptiles. There's a robot from the future who, like, you know, doesn't have emotions and has a dark secret and is curious about humanity. And you just go on this this adventure trying to unravel, like, what happened in 1999 and all the things that led up to it. And, of course, this all dates back. Like, this is, like, we've been on a destiny. Like, the timeline has been building to this since 65 million years ago, and we're going to try to find a way to undo it. Three things, I think, to start with about why this game is cool. First, just, it's very easy to play, and again, both in terms of that lighthearted story, but also just the controls and, like, how to get through this game. You aren't equipping a million different kinds of armor, you aren't adjusting for elements. Like, it's pretty simple what you want to do. Like, you, you pick what characters you think are cool, and you use their cool abilities, you'll be fine. Uh, second, the soundtrack in this game is absurd. It is phenomenal. It is one of the greatest pieces of like orchestration on a synthesizer that's ever been done. That has been remade a hundred times. Uh, it's great. 
And third, finally, that the game... The game very early allows you to challenge the final boss. And then, of course, at the beginning of the game, you'll immediately get wiped out. Um, but that's basically at any point, if you think you're ready, you can go do it. And based on what you've done in the game, the endings are spectacularly different. So this game, when it came out, had roughly 10 different endings, depending on when you were ready to go and save the world. And then lots of little variations in them, depending on which characters you favored or which choices you made and how they would have affected things. So you had this, like, infinite replay to this mm-hmm. game. Like it, took, like, it took forever to see everything in Chrono Trigger, but because it was so much fun and so exciting and so easy to play, you wanted to do it. I think if any game deserves the full Final Fantasy VII remake, if, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? That, treatment. That treatment, yeah, it's this. It's absolutely Chrono Trigger, and that's what I want to see. Final Fantasy VII Remake took a poorly, well, an okay translated scripted role-playing game with polygon models and turned it into this really cool combat action engine with incredibly well-written and well-voiced characters and this like heart-rending story. That's exactly what I want for Chrono Trigger. And frankly, if they copy and pasted it into that game engine, that would be fine. Mm. Like I would play that exact engine, that exact combat system again, just have it be Chrono Trigger, that just, just, just to see that world. And we are not the only people who think this way, by the way. There have been, I think, three now. Well, I'm sure there have been dozens, but three major fan projects to try and modernize Chrono Trigger into like the modern era. Folks at home, if you remember this game from the past and want to see some cool stuff, Google Chrono Resurrection, which was a fan-made, fully 3D project, not as... Like, not totally action-oriented, like FF7 Remake, but, like, these are just some guys who said, we're going to take the best parts of this game and make it fully 3D and updated and awesome. And, of course, you're not allowed to do that. It's not your intellectual property. As soon as they started promoting it, Squaresoft sent them a cease and desist. And, of course, they did. They're absolutely allowed to do that. But, God, killing that project and not releasing a remake of their own like has left me with, like the, like, the mental equivalent of a permanent limp. You know, an injury that I cannot get over. It feels so cruel. It's like, if you're not going to use the... If you're not going to do anything with the property, let people have their fun, especially if they're not going to profit off it. You'd think, right? I mean, again, I understand why Like, that's not how intellectual property law works and there's precedence, and I get it. But, I mean, what's cruel to me is that they're not doing anything with it. Like, there has not been another Chrono game, and people love this game. It's won all of the awards. Chrono Cross, less, uh, less popular, it, it, it tried to be something very different. And that, like, that rubbed some, like, people, like, when they want a sequel, like, they still want some of the original sauce, you know? Yeah. But also a good game, also a brilliant soundtrack. Uh, but again, PlayStation 1. We're on PlayStation 5 now. You know, like... <laughs> Assassin's Creed has released like 40 games in the amount of time that has passed between Chrono Cross and today. The fact that there is no Chrono stuff is insane. And it's not just new, like, like there's no merch. You know, you can't buy Chrono Trigger like maquettes or posters or figures or anything like that. Like they don't exist. Like it's so strange. It's the franchise that time forgot, ironically. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's and it considering the goodwill it has and the number of times it's been ported to other things, you'd think they would want to do something to really jazz the fan base. There's only so many times I want to buy literally the same game, and and so I haven't gotten a new version of Chrono Trigger in a while. But if they were to do a full-on spectacular PS5 level remaster of it or remake rather of it, I would be on board, especially if they did it like. Final Fantasy 7 where it's they release it in gigantic chunks and because this is a game that could warrant it there's there's a lot that that game is already deep and and there's a lot of hours of gameplay in it but there's room to expand it even further especially with all the alternate endings uh, you could you could release different versions of the game like each iteration of it could be leading to just one of those endings yeah that's a fair point it's just there's just so much to do, and it's and all of, none of it feels like a chore. You know, you're never just grinding for levels in this, or you're never just like putting up with a character's backstory. You're always involved all the time. It is from a like just from a financial standpoint, it's free money. <laughs> there's no way a remake of this game would not make its money back. Like this For game sure. is beloved, and I, I'm like part of the love just comes from the fact that it's so weird how little attention it gets. And I think if you the the very announcement of this would generate so much buzz that there would be a ton of interest that would span generations because it would be like old timers like us and older who would be spreading the gospel of this thing that has gone dormant because there's nothing to talk about anymore. Yeah, weird choice on their part, and I, I have looked into it. No, like, I mean, as far as we can tell, no rights issues, no like conflicts. Like, I guess these are all big wigs, but there's nothing stopping them from getting like even just saying it's okay, go ahead without me or something. But, like, I mean, I guess they're still making Dragon Ball stuff. That guy is older; he's not involved in all of it anymore. Like, you know, you don't you can give his permission to just use those characters. Like, it's. Yeah, no one has come out and said no. I won't allow it. It's for a long time. People said that Final Fantasy VII, like it was untouchable. You know, like it was a perfect moment in time, and it was. But the remake is also phenomenal. The Chrono Trigger remake would be phenomenal as well. Again, just just Google Chrono Resurrection and realize that that is fifteen years out of date. My God, <laughs> my God. <laughs> And, this, and and then listen to the whole soundtrack. That's it. <laughs> Pause the podcast, go listen to the entire Chrono Trigger soundtrack, and then come back, and you'll understand. And, I mean, while you're doing that, also listen to the entire Diddy Kong Racing soundtrack, just to get the full experience. Yeah, that too. Anyway, we could keep going for another hour about Chrono Trigger. We could go into detail about the characters. Um, but let's zoom back out. In general, that's, what was that, nine? Uh, eight? Because we oh maybe eight yeah eight good good games all of which I think could be tremendously successful remakes um, all of which I would be very excited to have and hey who knows who's listening if there's anything that we said uh, that you disagree with or anything you can't believe wasn't on our list are you really interested in that Majesty remake I mean I didn't like the sequel very much but maybe there's room for that uh, if you got something like that going we would love to hear from you uh, Graham how can they get that kind of stuff to us. Please email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5, and we're on Twitter at geektop5. 
when we're not playing all these video games, we're listening to your feedback. We're adjusting the show accordingly. Uh, doing this for you. I uh, just wanted to say thanks, frankly. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for your feedback. Thanks for being part of the community. Uh, we love sharing all this with you, and having you share back with us is a joy. Uh, while we're giving out thanks, also want to mention Jamie Reum. Uh, Reum is spelled R-E-A-U-M-E, local Toronto performer. He's the guy behind our theme song. Uh, check him out, uh, Jamie Reum Official and Jamie underscore Reum at YouTube and Instagram, respectively. And uh, hey, you know what? Things are opening up again. It's looking good, but we still got a bit of a ways to go, so plenty of time to play those video games. Uh, lots of them are, you can find a ton of them that are out now, and again, like things like Chrono Trigger, I think it has a Steam release by now, um, which is yes. okay. The best version of it is definitely the DS version, um, but hey, if you're also one of those lucky guys who has the, the classic SNES cart, that's cool too. Whatever you play, that is enough to, to keep you busy and uh, pass the time until we get a chance to do this again. Until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again next week.